0: We're back in a series of sermons that Daniel and I have been uh, trading off on as we go through the book of 1 John. And what we have agreed upon is that in one word, one word to try to capture the message of 1 John, the message that God wants us to take away with us, is the word assured. Assured. He wants us to go through this life assured of our relationship with Him. We need to be secure in that because out of our insecurities comes all kinds of dysfunctional behavior. And so, God wants us to know confidently, assuredly, where we stand and where we are in our relationship with Him. And so, as we come down to 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, the title of my message this morning, as we look at these verses through verse 27, is we need to be assured of the truth. We need to be assured of the truth. I'm going to read this passage of Scripture, and as I read it, I want you to look and listen for three key words. These three words, they all began with the letter A. These three words tie it all together. They connect the dots for us as we look at this idea and this concept of being assured of the truth. And so you look for those three words. We'll identify them together in just a moment. These are three critical realities regarding the truth about life. And so let's let's look for them. Children. It's the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out, in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he himself has made to us, eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Let's pray together. God, I, I pray that this, these next few minutes that we have together will be not just time spent in a church, not just time spent listening to a sermon, but God, I pray that it will be time in which you teach us something about abiding in you. God, we don't want to settle for anything less than that. God, as you've given to us your word, the deep truths of your word, the presence of your Holy Spirit, that this might not just be an exercise of some things going in one ear and out the other, but that, God, this might be an experience of abiding in you. Draw us close to you right now, through your word, as your Holy Spirit ministers to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Did you find those key words? The key terms that address three critical realities regarding the truth about life is Antichrists, anointing, and abiding. Antichrists, anointing, and abiding. The first reality in relationship to the Antichrist is this beware. (laughs) Beware of the reality of many Antichrists. Beware the reality of many Antichrists. Let's just kind of break that word down for just a moment. Very simply, the word anti means to oppose, it means to be against it helps us understand that there's a battle that's going on. This battle is a spiritual battle. This battle is a philosophical battle. This battle is a politically correct battle within America today. And the battle is being waged against the truth. It's being waged against the truth about life. And the one whom God sent to this earth, who claim to be the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Him. We need to be aware of the reality of many who oppose that truth about life. Here's the way that John states it. John's in our face on this. John is direct on this. John does not want us to miss this point. Here's what he says. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know it is the last hour. A couple of different times in this one verse, he mentions it being the last hour. There is a ring of finality about that. We are living in the days that is the last hour. What he's referring to is from the time that we celebrated last week of Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, and 40 days later, he ascends into heaven, and today he sits at the right hand of the Father, and the story of redemption is final. It's complete, there's nothing lacking. And what God wants us to know about how you and I can have a relationship with Him. This is the last hour. This is the final word that God has to say to us about salvation. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. There is a ring of finality in this word, in this terminology, that you and I are living in the last days. The disciples After Jesus left them. And went into heaven. That's the beginning of this last hour. And we're still living in this last hour. Until Jesus comes back. And there's a truth about you and I living in this last hour. And the truth is that there are going to be many. Antichrist. Those who oppose Jesus. As the one and only truth about life. And so. Jesus says, beware to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. There's going to be many who claim to be the Christ, and they will be misleading to you. And so that which is characteristic of this last hour, there is an increasing sense of urgency to beware, that there is an increasing sense of intensity in this battle for the truth. Who is... As John gets in our face on this one, or in their face with this one, who is the liar? He calls an antichrist, those who are opposed to Jesus, liars. It's not the truth. But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. In chapter 4, verse 2, he tells us that every spirit that denies that Jesus has come in the flesh is of the Antichrist. And so, to deny that Jesus is the Christ is to deny that Jesus, the Christ meaning, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one that's been consecrated, set apart as the only unique one of God. John calls him in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his what? only begotten son he is the anointed one you and i become children of god through adoption but jesus is the only begotten son he was born of a virgin he lived a sinless life he is god's appointed anointed deliverer of us from our sins he is emmanuel god with us to deny that Jesus is the Christ is to deny that he is the fulfillment of all the prophecies that God gave to us in his word. And so when we deny that Jesus or anyone denies that Jesus is the anointed one of God is to deny all of that. <clears throat> to deny that Jesus has come in the flesh is to deny. That you and I as human beings, any person, any man, any woman on the face of the earth, does not need God to come down here to save us. To deny that Jesus is God who's come in the flesh is to say we don't need that. We can do it on our own. That we don't realize the seriousness and the depravity of our plight apart from God. To say that Jesus is anything less than God come to us in the flesh is to say that mankind does not need God to come to him to save him of his sins. And so how important it is that we realize that to say that Jesus is the Christ. So what does it mean to say that Jesus is the Christ? Well, it is to say this. To profess that Jesus is the Christ is to say that Jesus is the truth about life and it is all about Jesus. And this truth is not just simply an intellectual truth, but this truth becomes relational as we put our faith and trust in the Christ. And so how do we recognize some of these antichrists that are around us today? Well... I'll put down a couple of things here for you. How is it that someone today will deny that Jesus is the Christ? Well, antichrists today would teach us that Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not enough. Beware of groups that will include Jesus in their teaching, but they will add other things to what we need to do for salvation whether it be the things that we embrace in our beliefs, whether it be our feelings, whether it be our works, beware of groups that add something else to Jesus. That Jesus is not enough. Another little way to look at that is those that embrace what they refer to as our intellectuals, pseudo-intellectuals, I like to think of them as agnostics, agnostics. And, and they will say that there is a power out there. There might be a God, but you can't really know who He is. Well, for somebody to say that there is a God, but you can't really know who He is is to deny what God has done in the work of Jesus Christ. When we realize that Jesus is the Christ, we realize that Jesus is the exact image of that invisible God. And the whole whole motive behind God sending His Son to this this earth was so that we could know what He's like, that we might know of His love for us, we might know of His grace for us, that we might relate to a God who is just as Jesus is. Antichrist will teach us that Jesus is not enough, Antichrist will teach us that Jesus is not the only way, not the only way. Postmodern thinking today says that there is no such thing as absolute truth. What's truth for you is good for you, what's truth for you is good for you, that there is no such thing as absolute truth that there's no such thing as any one way, as long as we are sincere, as long as we are devoted to what we believe. Well, did you know that you can be sincerely wrong? Look up sometime a guy named Roy Regals. Roy Regals. Back in 1929, the University of California in Berkeley engaged the Yellow Jackets of Georgia Tech in Atlanta, Georgia, in the Rose Bowl. And as they were playing each other, Stamp Thompson was carrying the ball for the University of uh, California, and he fumbled the ball on the California 30-yard line. Well, Roy Regal's being among the most athletic and intense football player that the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets had on their team, he saw that ball laying on the ground, and he picked it up, and he began to run. Somebody behind him pushed him right into a tackler. He spun around to avoid the tackle. He stayed on his feet, but he became disoriented. And he began to run just as fast as he could run. The only problem was, guess what? He was running the wrong way. And the coach and all the players on the sidelines and all the stands that were Yellow Jacket fans, all those fans were yelling at him to stop, and he just kept going as sincerely and devotedly and as quickly as he could possibly run. And all the players of the Georgia Tech team were running after him. They finally called him on the three-yard line, and he carried the man down to the one-yard line before he finally fell to the ground. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong for 69 yards of his run. And so folks, we got to be careful that we don't judge, we don't determine what truth of life is based on the the depth and the level of one's sincerity. Because you can be sincerely wrong. And God sent his son Jesus so that we might know what truth truly is. You see, So far, so far, what John has given to us in chapter 1 and so far in chapter 2, he's given us some tests. And first of all, he's given to us what we might refer to as a morality test. And what that morality test is saying is, Daryl, if you claim to be a believer and you're living in immorality, you're walking in darkness and not in the light, you better check that out. Because that inconsistently indicates that you do not know God because God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. And so that test will help me know whether or not I've got an authentic Christian faith in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, he gives to us the love test. And what he says to me is, Darrell, if, if, if I'm having an issue, an issue in my life of hating my brother... You better check it out because an authentic Christian has a love of God that's being perfected in his heart that enables you and empowers you, Daryl, to love even those who are unlovely. Unlovely. And so there's the, there's the morality test. There's the love test. But now he goes to the truth test. Why does he do that? Because here's, here's the reason why. Because... We can live perfectly moral lives. We can live even loving lives and be devoted, deeply devoted, sincerely devoted to living a life of morality, deeply devoted to living a life of loving other people and still miss the truth. Still miss the truth. How important it is, how important it is that we recognize that God has given to us in his son Jesus and our relationship with him the opportunity to have a relationship with nothing less than the truth about life. And so, beware of the reality of many antichrists that will lead you in different directions and mislead you in life. Secondly, beware of the reality of his anointing for the purpose of keeping us on the pathway of truth. Obviously, probably one of... If, if we were to write down with what is our favorite scripture, many of us would certainly have somewhere on our list the 23rd Psalm. And we're most, many of us are, are most familiar with that. And in and, and, and Psalm 23, verse 3, David says this. He says, he guides me, he guides me on the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Well, here's a guy in the Old Testament. Here's a guy who's got a relationship with God. And what he really says, he said, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He guides me. Here's the question. How in the world does God guide you? John answers that question for us right here. If you want to know God's system for guiding you in life, guiding us as believers, he tells it to us right here. It's through his anointing. Here's what he says in verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy one and you all know, you're not seeing it on the screen, but verse 27 says this, and as for you, the anointing, which you received from him abides in you. You have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you abide in him. So this anointing is that which God has given to you to anoint to anoint means to pour oil on someone as part of a religious ceremony. We see this we see this practice all through the Old Testament. We see Samuel anointing Saul We see Samuel the prophet anointing David. We see throughout the Old Testament that not only were kings anointed with oil to consecrate them, to identify them, to recognize them as the one who is appointed to be the king, but also we see that practice of anointing upon the prophets and also upon the priests. And so we have something of an elite group in the Old Testament, as those who are being anointed with oil. And now what we find out is this same word, this same concept is being used in the New Testament. And John is saying to all of us, he's saying, you have been anointed with something. Well, it's not the anointment of, of oil. It's not the anointment of holy water. It is nothing less. Nothing less. God anoints the believer, every single one of you that are sitting here this morning that have genuinely trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you bowed your head and you closed your eyes and you prayed a prayer and you said, Lord Jesus, I need you, and I opened the door of my heart to receive you as my Lord and Savior, take control of the throne of my life, you know what happened to you? (laughs) You were born again. The Bible tells that. Things start becoming new. Not only were you born again, but you were forgiven of all your sins. All right, we, we, we agree with that. We talk about, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. I realize I got a brand new life. I'm born again. We find out that we, 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 we recognize what God has done for us through this familiar terminology. But how many of us, how many of us would say, I'm anointed? I'm anointed. We sometimes reserve that for these special elite people. Just like in the Old Testament. King David, King Saul, and and, and the prophets Elijah, and and, and the priests, and so forth. Oh, yeah, they were anointed, but not little old me. Maybe Billy Graham was an anointed preacher. Or maybe we hear somebody else in in a great message and you say, Boy, that person, that preacher was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Or maybe somebody gets up and they sing. And when they through that song, we, we just identify and God just just grabs hold of us and speaks to us. So we say, man, that was anointed singing. And 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 maybe somebody's this great leader, and we say that person isn't a great anointed leader. But this concept, this concept is applied to us. And what this concept is teaching us is this, that what God has done in the anointing of you and me in his, through His Holy Spirit is that He is setting you apart. He's consecrating you, but He's also equipping you. In the anointing, not only does the anointing set you apart, He gives to us nothing less than the Spirit of Truth. And you've been anointed with the Spirit of Truth that gives you the capacity to have a relationship with the one who claimed to be the truth. So that you can follow the truth and know where the truth is leading you. And that's because you've been anointed by the spirit of truth. And so not only does it consecrate you and make us different from those that are out there who don't have the spirit of truth. But it also equips us and empowers us to live the life consistent with the life of truth. There's two truths about this anointing. First of all, this anointing is received from God. It's received from God. He says, You have an anointing from the Holy One. God's the one who's anointed you. It's not a matter of whether or not I put my hands on you. It's not a matter of what I sprinkle you with a little holy water. It's not a matter of whether or not I touch you with a little bit of oil on your head or pour it over your or your head. It's God who anoints the believer with nothing less than the Holy Spirit. Not only is it received from God, but it is given to all. It's given to all. Yes, you're a child of God. Yes, you've been forgiven. Yes, you've been born again. But don't stop with that. Don't underestimate what it is that God has done for you. He has anointed you with the Spirit of Truth. I intentionally brought this thing into the pulpit with me this morning. I usually leave it downstairs. Some of y'all have it with you. And probably one of them will go off at some point in time in the service. But I hold in my hand this thing. You know, this thing is really more than a phone, isn't it? You know, I I oftentimes refer to it as my phone, but it's more than a phone, isn't it? It's called a smartphone. (laughs) And that is because it has the capacity to help me in ways that I don't even know about. Amen. I'm on a learning curve. All right? I'm trying to learn all the, I mean, in my fingertips, I've got access to all these helps. They call these helps apps, applications. Okay? I have and Susan will say amen to this, I have a navigational app. And it's amazing how that has reduced the conflict that we have when we're trying to find some place where we're traveling in unknown territory. And so I have this navigational app so that when I'm heading into unfamiliar territory, all I have to do is to type in my destination. And guess what happens? I push a little button that says, let's get started. And just amazingly, almost miraculously, there's this sweet little voice, positive little voice that comes across this device right here and it speaks to me. And it says, let's get started. And, and the first thing it says, in 300 feet, make a left-hand turn. And when I go 300 feet and I make a right-hand turn, She is so sweet that she corrects me, and she helps me get back on course. This app is called Waze, W-A-Z-E, and this app will tell me when I get a wrong turn. This app will tell me when there's traffic that's ahead on the interstate when I need to get off. It will tell me when there's a stalled car on the shoulder of the road. It'll even tell me when there's a pothole to avoid ahead. It will tell me when there's an accident that's ahead. It'll even tell me when there's a policeman that's going to catch me if I'm going too fast. By the way, by the way, those of you that have these little navigational apps, have you noticed that it's always a lady's voice? Why is that? There's three reasons why it's a lady's voice. First reason is this. Men, we know women know everything. Amen? Amen. Amen? Men, we know that women are always right. Amen? And we know, men, we know that when we make a wrong turn, they're going to let us know about it. Amen. <laughs> How does this thing work? How does this thing work? This, this device, somehow or another, is connected to what's referred to as the GPS system, the Global Positioning System. Somehow, electronically and all that, it taps in to this network of more than 30 satellites that are out there going around the earth, and it can zero in on where i am and where i want to go. If human beings have figured out how to tap into this network that's out there in outer space orbiting around the earth and you can take the whole system and make it accessible accessible to little old me living in Roanoke Virginia going to some little side street somewhere and some other street, if mankind can figure that out guess what God has figured out a long time ago how he can take you, his device, his creation and put in you something that is tapped in to he himself through the spirit of truth that he puts into your heart and my heart that he has anointed you with so that when we're exposed to all this misleading garbage this misleading philosophies of life This misleading stuff that will get us going in the wrong way no matter how sincere we are. God has, a long time ago, determined that what I'm going to give to you is nothing less than the spirit of truth. Jesus. Jesus was the truth. And so what God has given to us is the same spirit that was in Jesus. He's put it in me. He's put it in you. And he gives us these promptings to let us know when we're going the right way. And when we get off the course, there's a little voice inside of us. There's a little prompting of the Holy Spirit. We call it conviction that lets us know that we've gotten off course and we need to come back to him. Every believer comes equipped. Every believer, not every person, but every believer comes equipped. With a TPS system. A truth positioning spirit. The truth positioning spirit. When you receive Jesus, you receive the anointing from the Holy One. Finally, he tells us, we need to be diligent to abide. We need to be diligent to abide. You see, John is careful... And I'd even go so far as to say it's not just John, it's God through John. <clears throat> God lets us know through John that the anointing is of God's doing, right? He's the one that's anointed. You look at it. That's the way it is. You receive this from him. That's what it's saying. This is God's doing. This is what God has done. But guess what? There's something that we've got to do. There's something that we've got to do. And it says, the abiding is our part. The anointing is God's part. He's equipped you. He's given you nothing like But there's something that you and I got to do. We got to abide in our doing. In our doing. The abiding is our doing. He tells us verse 24, As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. John tells us to let Something happened. As for you, let that abide in you. Let it happen. In other words, don't resist it. Don't fight it. Don't even ignore it. Just let it happen. He has given to us something for us to abide in. What is it that he's given to us to abide in? Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Apostolic teaching. The teaching of Jesus that comes to us through the apostles. The apostolic teaching that is given to us in his holy word, the Bible. And folks, be careful. Be careful. There's a lot of misleading ones that want to lead lots of followers in abiding in another word, or not just this word, but even the word of the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon, inspired by Joseph Smith, not inspired by one of the apostles, not inspired by Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, not the Apostle Paul, but inspired by others. We need to abide in that which we heard from the beginning. That's God's word. We abide in his word. Jesus said, "Jesus said, disciples, if you want to be a true disciple of mine, you abide in my word. You abide in my word and you will what? Know the truth and the truth will make you free. What's a picture of abiding? John chapter 15, verse 5. The picture, what an appropriate picture for us today in the springtime. We see some of these trees, we see these bushes coming to life. And the reason that they're coming to life, that which looked to be dead, no life at all. And now the leaves and now the buds. Now the beginning of the fruit is because they're connected, they're abiding in the vine. That's the picture of abiding. It's not something that's sporadic, it's not something that's just impulsive, it's not just something that when you feel like it, you come to Christ, but it's abiding. It's all the time. It's the same way of this little device right here. You know what's going to happen if I plug this thing in and I try to find a place in Washington, D.C. and I plug it in. By the time I get there, guess what's going to happen to this little device? All by itself, it's going to lose its power. And so I plug it in. I plug it in to the cigarette lighter. I plug it in and I got a source of energy. And this thing abides in that source of energy. And as it abides in that source of energy, it is able to fulfill its purposes and accomplish what needs to be accomplished. And so that's the abiding. Once a week is not abiding. Abiding does not mean something that you do occasionally or when you feel like it, but it's that which becomes a habit. When we let the word of truth that was inspired by the spirit of truth Abide in us, then that same spirit of truth will inspire us and keep us in the way of truth. Now chew on that one for a while. Fill in the blanks and you think about it. When you and I let the word of truth, that's this right here. When you and I let the word of truth that was inspired by nothing less than the spirit of truth. When we let this abide in us then that same spirit of truth will inspire us and keep us in the way of truth. Abiding in God's word is a term that defines the relationship. It's something that's tangible. It's something that's measurable. It's something that we can know if we are in right relationship with him. But folks, it's not how much you know. It's how much becomes a part of us. And that's what abiding is all about. It's not just how much you can read. It's not just how much you can crash course. But it's how much of this becomes us. Jesus said a very controversial statement that's going to lead us to the Lord's Supper. Jesus said this, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood does what? Say it with me. Abides in me, and I in Him. Jesus is not talking about cannibalism. We're not to interpret this literally. Jesus is talking about believism. Jesus is talking about what what it means to really be a believer in Him. And when we're really a believer in Him, we take Him in. When, when, in just a moment, when, when we when we eat this bread as small as it is okay, as tiny as it is but in, in just a moment when, when we eat this bread and when we drink this little cup of juice whatever we eat and put in our mouth and it, be, it, 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 it gets into our body and it becomes a part of us we are what? what we eat we are what we eat we are what we drink and, and when, when you and I take Jesus in, that's what it means to believe. Not just a little a taste of Jesus every once in a while. But when we take him in, when we abide in him, that's true believism. And he becomes a part of us. And, and we digest him. And he gets into every area of our life. And, and that's what he's talking about. And, and when people heard that, When people heard that, they couldn't take it in. And they, many, most of them, departed from him. This morning, this morning, those of us who are believers, those of us who would say we're not just playing a game, but we've taken him in. By faith, by trust, we have eaten him. We are drinking him. We're digesting him. We want Jesus into every pore, every attitude, every thought, every habit, every relationship, every interest. We want him to come in and just be a part of who we are. Those of us who want to say that, not just audibly, but those of us who want to say that through our practice this morning of taking a piece of bread, taking Jesus into our life, so to speak. Drinking the cup. It is our opportunity to profess that this morning. I'm going to ask the deacons that will be assisting in the distribution of the elements of the Lord's Supper to just gather there in the back as, as we prepare. Just just bow your heads for a moment. Bow your heads for a moment. And, and there are those that are here this morning that don't know anything about this TPS system. They don't know anything about That spirit of truth being in their life, positioning them through all the stuff that we're faced with in life. And this morning, they want to receive nothing less than that spirit of truth in their life. And this morning, you want to say, Lord Jesus, anoint me, anoint me with your Holy Spirit, your spirit of truth, this morning, that I might know you, that I can follow you, that I can go. In the way that you would lead me. I give you my heart. I give you my mind. I give you my thoughts. I give you my time. That I might abide in you. I'm going to ask the deacons to come. And join us here at the front. And as they come. And as they come to, to each one of the rows. Those of you who are believers. Those of you who have taken him into your life. We invite you to receive the bread and receive the cup as we celebrate the Lord's presence with us this morning. Father, thank you that you've already anointed us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that even now there are promptings that your Spirit of Truth is, is placing within different persons' hearts and minds to give a different area of their life over to you. Let them recognize that that is your way of guiding them and leading them in the truth this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.